Good morning, everyone. You may have noticed I am not Joanne. Um, my name is Vince, and so uh, the part of the Minister of Spiritual Formation will now be played by me for a while. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Um, I am an uh, ordained deacon in full connection with the Michigan Annual Conference, but uh, I'm originally here from Georgia, and I'm glad to be back here and with you today. Um, in addition to the song that we just sang, which is from Isaiah 43, our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, our gospel text this morning doesn't give us a whole lot to go on. Just five verses here, um, which seems like not very much for us as we are looking at celebrating the baptism of Jesus. Obviously, we are stepping into the middle of a story as the people were filled with expectation. Doesn't exactly tell us much about where the story has been, only where it is going. It's sort of like when I saw Star Wars for the very first time when I was a kid, and I was too little to read that whole opening crawl myself, so I really didn't have any idea what was going on. And, you know, the scene just opens, and there's these spaceships, and one's chasing another, and I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that it was setting up the rest of the story. And this is very much John's role in our story today. John is there to set up the rest of the story. Now, unlike when I first saw Star Wars when it first came out, we can today know a bit more about what's happening in our story here today in Luke. Um, over the course of Advent and Christmas, much of the early part of Luke is read during worship. We, we learn about the miracle of not only Jesus' birth, but also of John's. Uh, we learn that the two are related by their mothers uh, we learn about the people being in expectation and waiting and longing for a change in their world. We hear Mary's song in which she preaches and sings about the coming of God and how God is going to lift up the outcasts and the lowly and change things around and make things good again. We see John entering into his ministry, calling people to repentance and forgiveness, calling on them to be baptized. And in verses 10 through 14, which are immediately before ours, John gives them a little bit of a taste of what exactly that looks like. If you have two coats and someone doesn't have one, well, share with them. And if you have food, share with someone who has none. And if you're a tax collector, only collect the amount of money you're actually supposed to collect. Don't call for extra and pocket the rest. 
If you're a soldier, don't use threats to extort money from other people. Now, for those of us that have read about Jesus and heard Jesus' stories, this doesn't seem like particularly radical stuff. Love one another, share with one another. We're used to that. We've heard similar things in the teachings of Jesus. And so this is pretty tame for us Christians. But for this time period, people weren't quite sure what to think. The political leaders such as Herod were not very pleased with this movement that John was kind of starting out here in the wilderness. And Herod in particular was taking John's teachings very personally, probably feeling a bit guilty for divorcing his wife and marrying his niece who had been married to his brother. It sounds a little confusing, uh, but it was a thing, and John had already called Herod out on it. So Herod was pretty upset about John already. And then our text today tells us the people are kind of wondering, well, could John be the Messiah that we're looking for? The one who is going to bring freedom and salvation? And they're wondering, is John the one that we are waiting for? Is he the one? Now, in our age, there are certain people who might be tempted to latch onto that and say, yes, you know what? I am that guy. I am glad to step in and be in that role. But instead of stepping into that, John knew his role in the story, and he points to another. Now, John was preaching something new, something different for the people, and the people were starting to see what happens when you live your life positively in relation to God and to one another. Things were shifting, and so it was only natural for them to wonder Is this what it'll be like when the Messiah comes? And this is why they question John. But his response makes it very clear. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. It's as if he is saying, look, you think this is something you haven't seen anything yet. He knows that he is the messenger. He knows the role that he gets to play in the story. He's ready for a new world, just like the rest of them. But he knows that he is not the one who will usher it in. He may not know where his part in the story is going to lead, but he does know the role that he has to play, and he's comfortable playing that part. And in the end, it's not up to him anyway. Much like us here today, His job is to spread the news and then let God do what God has promised to do. And so we turn to Jesus. Now in the Gospel of Luke, these early chapters are mostly background information. Like reading the opening crawl on a Star Wars movie, it helps to set the stage for the story and to let us know where things are going. Where do things stand We get a couple of pregnancies foretold by angels. We hear in Mary's song about the suffering of the people, about how God will raise up the lowly and turn the world around. We hear the narrative about Jesus' birth that we are so familiar with. We hear how even as a child of 12, that Jesus was content to sit in the temple questioning the elders. We hear how they were amazed at his understanding already at such a young age. We hear about the beginning of John's preaching in the wilderness, and then Jesus 
appears here in the midst of these crowds that have been following John. In our text today, John finishes his monologue on the Messiah, and then Jesus is being baptized. And the verse immediately following tells us that that Jesus was about 30 at this time. And yet the last time we saw him here in the scriptures, he was 12. We really don't know. What was he doing for the last 18 years? We could guess, I suppose. It's said that his earthly father Joseph was a woodworker, so maybe Jesus had been spending those years learning the family trade. He was there in the wilderness with the crowds who were following John, so maybe he'd been uh, studying and learning from his cousin. All we really know is that at this point in the story, Jesus is baptized with the others who were there. And this is a theme. Oh, and then he begins, he goes into prayer. He gets baptized and he goes to kneel in prayer. And we see that theme of Jesus going into prayer over and over again through this Gospel of Luke. Now, there are some who like to claim that Jesus was always holy, always perfect. And after all, the, the incarnation tells us Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. So if John is preaching a baptism of repentance, but Jesus is fully good, why is Jesus there that day being baptized? I can only say that however we may understand the incarnation, it does mean exactly that Jesus was fully human, just like you and just like me. We know nothing about his life up until this point other than his miraculous birth and his annual visits to Jerusalem for Passover. His ministry doesn't begin until he is baptized. But whatever it was he heard there in that crowd, whatever it was that he heard in his cousin's preaching, whatever it was that he knew about himself, about his life, he felt called to enter those waters along with the others that were there. Now, if the story had ended there, chances are we wouldn't be here today in this place. Jesus would have just melted back into the crowds and as one of the many who had heeded the calls to baptism that day. But the story didn't end there. While Jesus was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended in the bodily form of a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved, and you I am well pleased. This is the start of the ministry that set Jesus apart from the rest of those crowds. Yes, his birth was heralded by angels. Yes, he was known as a child to be one of great learning and understanding. Yes, he would go on to have a ministry preaching forgiveness and repentance. But you know what? John did all those things too. If that was all there was to it, we might be Johnians instead of Christians. Makes me go back and rethink that Star Wars story. Did it have to be Luke who was the one who went to bring down the empire? What if Leia had made it to Obi-Wan? She had the same lineage, the same connection to the forest, the same family line. And unlike Luke, she had already been out there aware of what was going on already out there speaking out about the bad things that were happening. 
Perhaps she would have been the hero of the story. But I suspect most of us know that's not how that story goes. And it is the same for us. We are not Johnians. We are Christians. As Jesus is praying after his baptism, God opens the heavens and publicly claims Jesus as the beloved son. And so Jesus' public ministry begins. Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. He had grown up around these people and other than his understanding of the Torah, which is commented on, he isn't really known as being anything remarkable before this day. But he hears John's words, and he enters the waters himself, and then he kneels to pray. And then God makes sure that the people know who Jesus is. John set the stage for the story, and then God did what God does. And hopefully you've noticed that this is not the end of the story. After all, we're only in chapter 3 out of about 24 in the Gospel of Luke. If we were watching a movie, we'd only be about 15 minutes in. Probably wouldn't even know who the bad guy was yet. And the very next verse following our text today tells us that this is when Jesus begins his ministry. For Jesus' baptism was the beginning, not the end. And it makes sense, therefore, that it would be the same for us. From the time of his baptism, Jesus spent what was left of his life preaching repentance and forgiveness. He took time apart for prayer as needed, but the bulk of his remaining time was spent pulling people back into right relationship with God and with each other. And if we turn to the final chapter of Luke, skip ahead to the end, read the last page. This is how his ministry ended as well. With a message to his disciples to go forth preaching that same message of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And it is the same for us still today. Like Jesus, we hear that call to repentance and forgiveness. We enter the waters of baptism nudged by God's desire for relationship. And as we emerge from the waters, the Spirit is called down to rest upon us, to lay upon us that claim of God that we our beloved children. We pass through the waters and God is with us. God redeems us and lays claim to us and makes us God's own. And as with Jesus, this is not the end of the story for us. Just as Jesus is claimed by God and then begins his public ministry, so it is with us. We enter the waters redeemed and claimed by God and then we are sent out into the world to call the world into relationship. A relationship with God that is lived out in relationship with other people. Through the sacrament of baptism, we are both recognizing God's claim upon us and accepting and affirming what it is that God is calling us to do. Baptism is the beginning of the story, not the end. Through baptism, we are joined to the body of Christ as Paul makes clear to us in the letter to the Galatians, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to make clear that through Christ, all the divisions that we try to create between us, our nationalities, our social status, our races, our genders, 
these things seemed, cease to be the primary things that define us. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That becomes our primary identification. And so it is that we continue to usher in the kingdom that Jesus had proclaimed. And so it is that we call one another brother and sister, whether or not we are related by blood. And so it is that we continually pray as we go about the ministry of proclaiming forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. For we are all one in Christ Jesus, and we are all called through baptism to continue that same ministry that he began at his. And so as a way of reminding ourselves what this means, I invite you to come forward in a few minutes to feel the waters, to reaffirm that commitment, and to remember your baptism. And if there are those here today who are present who have not yet been baptized, I'd be glad to talk with you later about what that might mean for you. And now, sisters and brothers, let us recall that through the sacrament of baptism, God's Spirit has been poured out upon the waters. Water poured over and immersing us. Water that flows freely for all who will receive it. Water from the streams of God's saving power and justice. Water that brings hope to all who thirst for righteousness. Water that refreshes, water that nurtures, and offers us new birth. Today we come to these waters to renew our commitment in each other's presence. To Christ who has raised us, to the Spirit who has birthed us, and to the Creator who is making all things new. And so I ask you, will you turn away from the powers of sin and death? Renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of the world, and repent of our sin. Will you let the Spirit use you as prophets to the powers that be? We accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Will you proclaim the good news and live as disciples of Jesus Christ, his body on earth? That's the, that's what we'll tell you her. Put our whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as our Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. Will you be living witnesses to the gospel, individually and together, wherever you are and in all that you do? We'll remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world. Will you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? We affirm and teach the faith of the whole church as we put our trust in God, the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Spirit of the Lord is with us. 
Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, the life you birthed in us by baptism into Jesus Christ will never die. Your justice never fails. Your mercy is everlasting. Your healing river flows. Your spirit blows where you will. We cannot stop you, God. But sometimes we try. We try to block the flow. We redirect the winds of the spirit. Or we walk so far away from the life-giving stream that we do not hear its sound. And we forget its power. We parch ourselves. We are dry and thirsty, O God. Come refresh us. I invite you now to raise your left hand to the waters as we bless them. Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Upon us, Holy Spirit. Come upon these waters. Let these waters be to us drops of your mercy. Let these waters renew in us the resurrection power of Jesus. Most holy God, Abba, Father, glory to you. Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, Spirit of fire, Spirit over the waters, Spirit of holiness, eternal God, one in three and three in one, all glory is yours now and forever. Amen. I invite you now as baptized Christians to come forward to feel the water and to use it as a sign of refreshing. And if any here are unbaptized, you are invited as well to come forward to feel the waters and to consider what those waters mean to you. Come forward, feel the waters, and rejoice. <laughs> 